Father God, we cry out your name. God, sometimes we get in uh, in the situations where we don't know our way out, God. We get stuck in a cycle. Father, and all we have to do is just shout out Jesus. We say, your name, kingdoms will bow. And rulers will fall. So, Father, tonight we call on your name. And we say, Jesus. Father, we... So many times we run off track and, uh, and God, we try to do things our own way. God, forgive us for that. You say you know the plans you have for us and they're plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope in the future. And God, we believe that and we claim that tonight. God, you know what's best. Please reveal that to us. God, reveal your purpose. Reveal your will in our lives. God, I pray when you do that we can latch on. We'll follow that call wherever it leads. Without fear, without hesitation, God. Because you are God. You're the God who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In the beginning and the end. So, Father, I pray we would be afraid to call on your name. And that we would trust you at all times. In your son's name. And you can sit down if you'd like to. You can open your Bibles if you have them to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Last week, uh, Ray Harmon was here and did the parable uh, of the sower, which took us, I think, all the way until either verse 9 or verse 11. I'm actually not sure how far he went. I went to listen online and it actually wasn't supposed to do it. So, um, <clears throat> I'm not sure where he stopped. So we're going to pick up around verse 9 of chapter 4. Uh, you may already be there, but just to give you recap, as we've walked through the book of Mark, we've seen this gospel of Jesus. The story begin to unfold that God is now here, the God of justice is now here, referred to back in Malachi, and, and now bringing about redemption of man in, in a new way or in a, a fuller way of what God's plan has been so far throughout the storyline, going all the, way to, all the way back to the Old Testament and now to where Jesus is is in play physically here on earth and revealing what God is now doing in working in man. And so as we've walked through that, we've seen John show up, begin to prepare the way and teach repent. And then Jesus shows up and brings the basics of the message of believe in, repent, change your mind, recognize you're broken and believe in the gospel. And then he's moved forward and begun to teach and crowds have begun to gather. He's, he's called disciples for specifically we've seen called and we see hundreds, if not thousands of people begin to follow Jesus or at least gather to see him teach to the point where he's by the Sea of Galilee at one point and they come to him so much to where he's got to get in a boat so that he's not crushed as he's teaching people of the coming kingdom of God, as he's healing people, as miracles are happening, as he's debating, arguing, having discussions with the Pharisees and they're beginning to take action against him. And so we pick up here as this series of parables is going to be told Last week, the parable of the sower, and then it's going to lead to the parable of the lampstand, of the growing seed, and then the mustard seed. And then we're going to get into a, an event that happens with his disciples and what they've learned so far. But what's very interesting, as this, as this series of parables Mark lays out, just, just right before that, or shortly before that, you've got Jesus and his mothers and brothers. And you see that whole concept of Jesus makes a shift now. He's got his mom and his brothers. His family has showed up at this house to come get him. Because they've decided Jesus is now crazy. We need to go get him, pull him out of this house, and take him back home. 
and let's get this thing settled down. And Jesus addresses the, the issue as in, look around me. Those who are followers of me are now my family. Very interesting dynamic as Jesus unfolds this revelation of God that those who are followers of Jesus are becoming a part of this family of God. Before that, there's an address of Jesus and how he's casting out demons. But right before that, Mark tells the story of the appointing of the twelve disciples. He's got multiple people following him. And he takes time to select, here are twelve I'm going to pull out. I'm going to teach them specifically. And then he sends them out with the power to cast out demons and go and begin to speak. He's going to invest in these twelve men. Over the course of the rest of his ministry, 11 of which he will send out, which will be the foundation of the New Testament church as that begins to spread after death, uh, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And so it's very interesting that you've got the pointing of the 12, and then it's shortly after that you have these series of parables, and you see this unfolding of how Jesus is now working with these 12 men, and then what happens with them kind of at the end of, or at least on the tail end of this wrapping of these parables. So there's the parable of the sower, which gives you four different pictures of, there's a sower, he's sowing seed, and there are four places where the seed falls, and you get a result of what's happened with the seed now in relation to the gospel and the hearing of this message of what God is doing. So in verse 9, we pick up and says, Then Jesus said, Whoever possesses ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around them had asked him, or others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may never be seeing or looking, but never perceiving or seeing, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they they might turn and be forgiven. Now, this is a passage from Isaiah 6. And if you don't know the story of Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet who shows up in the time of Israel when they are struggling greatly. They're not worshiping God. They're not being obedient. They're not following. Shortly after Isaiah, Jeremiah will show up. Isaiah's message, he comes and says... You are being stupid. You need to change or God is going to punish you. And in that message, in that bringing of, in Isaiah, we look and we see, and it says, so that they may be ever looking but never perceiving, and they be ever hearing but never understanding. And this idea of hearing a message or seeing is very interesting. Again, you've got the disciples. If we go all the way to to 1 John chapter 1, John, the disciple who was called was it chapter 1 or 2? I don't remember. He's one of the first disciples who was called. He's a fisherman. Jesus shows up says, get out of the boat. He drops his nets and begins to follow, begins to follow Jesus. And you fast forward all the way into, late into John's life, and he writes, at the beginning of his book of First John, he says, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have experienced, that we have gazed upon, that we've touched with our hands, is the message concerning the word of life. And John is discussing these things they've seen and they've heard. But not only that, he, he describes a level of seeing and perceiving and understanding who Jesus is at a much deeper than I just see or I'm acquainted with. He, he, he writes it in a very deep level of understanding now of who this Jesus is. And this experience he's had has led him to believe that all he's experienced with Jesus is concerning the word of life, the message of Here's how I find redemption. And here Jesus says, I'm speaking in parables because the kingdom of God is a secret that's been revealed to you. There's a mystery of the gospel, the coming kingdom of God that's been revealed to you. That you are understanding But those on the outside, they may be seeing what's happening, but they're not perceiving what's going on. They may see miracles take place. They may hear Jesus' teaching, 
They may experience all that, but they don't have the same revelation from God that John would, that he later writes about. That he has a deep understanding. As Jesus says, they may be ever seeing what's going on, but they don't have a deep level of perceiving and gazing upon and experiencing. There's, there's a disconnect there. Not only that, but hearing and not understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Verse 13 says, Then Jesus said to them, and Ray may have covered this, so we're going to kind of mow through this fairly quickly and get into uh, the next three parables. But if he hasn't covered it, then we're going to go ahead and cover it quickly. Uh, Verse 13, Then Jesus said to them, uh, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and soon they hear it. Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the, are sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Verse 20, others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, 30, 60, and even 100 times what was sown. And just quickly, as we've talked about, as professions of faith are made, at least in the beginning here, there's always a link to something that's happening now with that person, with that individual. You have James and John and Andrew and Peter, and Jesus comes to them and says, get out of your boat and follow me. And they display faith by dropping their nets, leaving their families, leaving... Uh, their profession, leaving all they know and beginning to follow this man. There's an action that comes after that, that recognition. There's something special going on here. They don't have a full revelation. They don't have a full understanding of who Jesus is at this point, but they have a responsive action to that message. Drop nets, they move. We've talked about the demons who will actually verbally profess who Jesus is, and Jesus will stop them, and we'll get into that in, in a minute here. And Jesus will stop them, and they verbally make a profession, but there's no alignment and there's no action attached to, I'm buying into this idea of Jesus. And they're not finding redemption. They're not finding correction. They continue to be enemies of God. And so it's very interesting, as Jesus unfolds this this parable of the sower and the seeds, the, the very last one, those who are in the faith, those are who are in the inside, that are not outsiders, who are understanding, who are seeing and perceiving, they are hearing, they are understanding, they are turning and they are believing, they are finding forgiveness. Why? Because they put their faith in Christ. And not only that, there's validation because they are responding to this message of God. Not only am I buying in and saying, yes, I believe this, am I verbally confessing who Jesus is, but now I'm buying in with a lifestyle and I'm responding to God and aligning my life with that. And this is, I mean, basic salvation message. What does this mean to truly buy into Jesus? What does it truly mean to follow Jesus? To say, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? It means that you've aligned yourself with Jesus. It means that you have tangible action attached to your verbal faith claim. It doesn't mean that you're earning that, but it definitely validates where you stand. And Jesus says, those who are responding... Those seed that has fallen on good soil, who have heard, who have accepted, not only that, but they've produced a crop, they've responded, are now folding a crop to be harvested 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. And then he moves into the next parable, verse 21. He said to them, 
Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear or possesses ears, ears to hear, let him be hearing. What is this talking about? He's, he's going to use these different examples to display the kingdom of God, the gospel, the story, and he's going to do it in an illustrative manner. So he takes this lampstand and he says, do you bring in a lamp to a room and you put it under a bowl? And he starts out the sentence obviously wanting and expecting a negative response. Is that what you do with the lamp? You bring it in to light a room and put a bowl over it. No, that's retarded. That's not, that's not smart at all. I'm sorry I said that. I shouldn't use the right word. Come on, can you get your word? I'm still learning. I'm only 31. I should have this down by now. That's not smart. You wouldn't do that. If I offended anybody, I'm very sorry. And so you bring in a lamp saying you put over a bowl. Would you do that? No, that's not how you use this thing. And then he says, instead, you put or, or, under a bowl or under a bed. No, you go in and you put it on a lampstand. Why? So it can give light. There's a dark room. You're wanting to light the room. You don't put something over it. You put it in the room. Uncovered so that it will light the room so it will do what it's supposed to do. And then he goes on and says, verse 22, For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, but whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Now, if we go back and we look at, the, and this question had come up as we were studying the, the beginning of the first three, four chapters, or the first three chapters of Mark. There are different instances where Jesus specifically tells someone, do not tell people what's going on. He goes and he heals a man who has leprosy and immediately says, I want you to go to the priest and I want them to deem you as clean and do not make sure that you don't tell anybody what has taken place. Jesus shows up and begins to do miracles and it displays his divinity. It shows that this is the Son of God. This man has godly divine powers and is able to heal people. By speaking, by touching, by spitting in somebody's eyes. And Jesus specifically tells this man with leprosy, do not go and share this. And the man immediately does not listen to Jesus. And he goes and instead of seeing the priest and going back to where he can function in daily life the way uh, that being, if you were clean, you'd be deemed clean, you'd be able to go back and function and worship in society and culture and all those things. And instead of doing that, he immediately goes out and begins to spread this word across the countryside. And people begin to approach Jesus. There's one instance where he's, where Jesus has done that with a man on at least two, if not three occasions, I don't remember how many, but as he's addressing the demons that he's casting out, he specifically says, either when they, they begin to speak of and confess you are Jesus, he stops them and silences them. And I believe it's chapter three, he said Jesus does not allow them to speak of who he is. But why does he do that? One of the, one of those came into play at the end of chapter three as we studied in this debate about as the Pharisees brought charges against Jesus that he is a demon possessed himself or able to cast out demons through the power of Satan himself in, in Jesus argues with them and uses a parable there and uh, debunks their argument. But regardless, in that study, one way that you would be able to, or one way that was believed that you would be able to have charge over is if you were using the name of that certain demon or whatever it was. And so names were important in having charge over and power over. And, and, and so... One argument is that why would Jesus tell demons, no, you shut up, do not profess, do not even speak of my name. Obviously, they're not going to have power from him. But regardless, one argument is that that may be why he's shushing him. I would argue that why is he doing that? Maybe here in this passage that he's speaking of the kingdom of God in this message and saying what was hidden is going to be concealed. 
make any sense at all. I'm sorry. What was hidden is going to be displayed, and what was concealed is going to be brought out into light. At this point, what's been concealed or what's been hidden, Jesus has been, at least to a degree, hiding this message of who he is. And again, in relationship to the gospel and the story of Jesus, and in this parable, what's he speaking of? Very possibly, this idea that who I am, what I can do, at a time, was being hidden and being concealed. But he clearly says things that are hidden, things that are concealed, are to be brought to light. And shortly after that, he says, verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. Or take care, watch out what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and even more. And so he makes this statement, he he makes a, a difficult statement to grasp this whole idea of what was Hidden is going to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into light. If you can hear, take note of this, but watch out how you take, interpret, and use this passage. Because it can be used in a different way. You can read this and think, okay, if something is being hidden, what can that be? It could be someone's sin. If someone is doing something that's ungodly, unholy, that can be hidden. But there's a time when that may be disclosed or brought to light. Now, if we are the good, loving Christians that we can be, often we can look at people who are going through an issue or doing something that's not wise or doing something that's sinful and engaging in something that's ungodly and holy. And at times we can be very quick to judge and bring that to light. And I would argue Jesus here is saying, be very careful how you're using what I'm saying, how you're taking, how you're using, and how you were judging. Why? Because the measure that you use to measure is going to be used for you and added to. So there are kind of two concepts at play here. One is this idea that the message of Jesus has been hidden to, at, at a, to a degree for a time because it's going to be concealed. Again, because it's going to be disclosed. That's funny. You people laugh. Because that's funny when I mess up that way. We really need, like, one of those buttons you push and it laughs and the applause goes and, ah, yeah, like signs flashing. No? Okay. Well, it's just an idea. I thought maybe we'd use it. We'll try this more. Do what, Marty? There may, there may be an app for that. A phone app. <laughs> there is. There's a uh, farting app and I think there's an applause app, too. There's both of those. We could use either one. Like for a bad joke. And then, like, I'm sorry. I am not a stand-up comedian, and I never will be. Uh, where are we at? Message, twofold. So, one is that this message of Jesus is going to be brought to light. And the other is this idea of things that are hidden, that are brought to light. Be careful how you're taking that. Be careful how you're measuring. Be careful how you're judging. Because those same standards are going to be used for you. Remembering that, when we look at other people, when we look at relationships, when we look at families, when we look at whatever it can be, we need to recognize and take note that we are one step away from anyone else who has fallen. None of us are above those things. We are all broken. We all have failures. We all have faults. We all come to Jesus in a state of brokenness, needing grace. Needing to recognize, I'm broken and I need Jesus. And I can't do this without God. Jesus is stating very clearly, be careful on how you take and how you use this. 
Because the whole concept of the gospel is that you are loving people. The concept is that we're not bringing about the moral improvement in character of our society, of our nations, and of people. That comes later. That comes after meeting Jesus. That comes after a developing and maturing of a relationship with God. Our whole point is not, hey, let's, let's all get it to where we're all living right. Our point is that we go out and we love people that are broken. And Jesus states clearly, be very careful on how you're using this because you're going to be measured the same way and added to because guess what? At some point, you're probably going to screw up too. Verse 25, whoever has been given more, uh, excuse me, I had to back up for a second, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever, uh, whoever has, there we go, whoever has will be given more and whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. Again, here we've got another very difficult, I mean, Mark smashes two of these things right together that are difficult sayings that are hard to understand. Uh, the best answer I've found so far on this one, and I don't have a good answer and I don't even have a position yet, I'm just going to tell you what I feel like the best one I've read so far, is that this is in relationship to the faith that you display. Someone who has faith and displays it continually, consistently, is going to be growing in their faith going to be experiencing God, God working in, God using, you being a part of the kingdom, and your faith will grow. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't mean that things aren't going to go wrong, you're not going to have difficulties, but that is a growing faith. On the other hand, the one who does not display consistently, does not invest in, does not take the time to display their faith outwardly, is not in a state of growth and maturity, but rather in regression. If you're not consistently putting yourself in a position where I have to trust God, I have to rely on God, whether that's a financial situation, whether that's trying to provide for somebody, that whether that's loving somebody that's difficult, whether it's extending forgiveness, whatever it may be, sharing your faith. If you're not doing those things to progress you forward, you're in a state of regression. Moving on, verse 26, he says, He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how. Verse 28, all by itself the soil produces grain. First the stock, and then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. So he moves into the, this next parable, in the growing of the seed. He said the sower goes out, he plants the seeds, and night and day he goes to bed and he gets up. And he waits. It's watered, the seed begins to grow, it sprouts, it develops into a full-grown plant, and the sower then comes out and harvests the plant that's ripe and ready to go. And in the parable it says, the sower does not understand how this works. And they understand the whole working out. I need to walk out here, I need to drop the seed, I need to cover it up, and it needs to be watered, and then it grows. But the parable is that he cannot explain in depth really what's taking place. Now, that would be true for me. I have no idea, really, how a plant grows. I know that you drop some seed, you cover it up, you water it, and whoosh, there you go. Maybe. But I don't understand, really, the work, because I'm not a farmer. I'm not a sower. I don't do that. The last time I planted anything was in college, and it was a pansy, because they said, go plant the pansy. So I did. I put them in and walked off, and that was it. And I didn't even know what a pansy was. It's a flower, if you don't know. But now, now I know that. Uh, but I didn't back then. I was just planting flowers. So I don't understand those things. However, a farmer probably has a pretty good idea of what's taking place. Why? Because that's their life profession. That's what they've invested in. A lot of it, especially in this culture, that's what they grew up doing. 
So they should have a deep understanding, but here, Jesus is taking that message, taking that story, he's taking that illustration, and he's moving it over to this idea of the kingdom of God and says, the ones who have go out and display their faith, they go out and they share the gospel, they drop the seed, and they wait. You go out, you do your very best. You get good soil, you plant it, you water it, you do what you can. But at the same time, you don't really understand the depths of what is happening inside the ground with the seed and how it's developing, why it's developing, what it's doing, and then it produces a full plant. You don't understand that. Jesus relates that to our faith, the kingdom of God. You go out, you begin to share, you begin to love people, you begin to make provision for those who have need, and then you begin to see the changing of hearts. You see God revealing himself to people and people moving in, repentance and wanting to know God in relationship with God and you look at that and you cannot explain really what's going on because you don't understand it. The cool thing is that's not your job. Your job is the sower. You go out, you drop the seed, you plant, you do your very best, you water and you wait. And when the harvest is ripe, you show up. The whole message wrapped in this parable is this idea that we go out and we share the love of Christ and the story, the message of Jesus and redemption of man with all we come in contact with. We do our very best and we wait for God to move. Why? Because we don't understand how that works. I can't explain to you why I can go in my neighborhood, I can walk in my house and know that God intervened in my life to show to reveal to me that case you're broken and you need forgiveness through Jesus and I got that message. I don't know why my neighbor didn't get that yet. But that's okay. That's not my job. My job is to love him. My job is to share Christ with him as much as I can. My job is to invite him into my home. My job is to make the best soil I can make for a seed that I'm going to plant and do the very best I can watering and doing the things that God has called me to do so that even without my understanding, God might move in his life. You don't have to understand how it works. You're not supposed to, supposed to. Your job is to be the one who walks that drops the seed plant and does your very best and waits for God to move. He goes on with the next parable and says in verse 30, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest largest of all the garden plants with such big branches and, uh, that the birds the birds of the air can perch, in, uh, perch inside it or in its shade, excuse me, not inside it, in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, his own disciples, he explained everything. So he uses the mustard seed, which was a, a mustard seed, if you don't know, is a seed that has uh, used for oil, for, for eating. It's actually high in protein. I looked it up. It's very rich in protein. Like a portion of mustard seed is like 23.5 grams of protein. So if you want some of that, go get it. It also has like 17.8 grams of fat, but it's like a healthy fat. So if your joints are hurting and you need to lube those things, get the mustard seed. Just munch them down, right? It, but it had, also has like 35 and a half grams of carbs. And so it's much like a protein bar with some good fat in it. Like you've got to, you know, whatever. So anyways, if, you're, if, if you don't like protein bars and you can swallow a mustard seed, get a handful and just chop them. And that will be very nutritious for you. Very much so. Anyway, so he takes this mustard seed and said, this is the smallest of the seeds. When you plant it in the ground, but yet when it sprouts, it makes a massive bush. 
to the point where birds can come and they can nest in the thing. They relate that to the kingdom of God. And if we go back and look as as the New Testament church is developing, Jesus shows up, John shows up, and then Jesus comes, John dies, and Jesus walks out and he grabs four guys off a fishing boat. Two fishing boats. And thousands of people gather around to hear the teaching and all these things. And by the end of Jesus' ministry, he's got 120 people who are there. Eleven of which were close friends that Jesus invested in and developed and taught theology and what God was doing. And with these eleven men, God goes out and, and found the New Testament church that, that we are now impacted by today. The kingdom of God does not start with something. I mean, he goes all the way back to Abraham. He grabs one man. Here we go. An old man who had no kids. So the kingdom of God is much like this mustard seed that's very small, but after planting, after develop, after developing, after growing, it's a massive plant that's useful that produces a nice protein source with carbs and fats for living the joint. Then it goes on and says, he, he always spoke in parables to the crowds. Uh, and, and not saying anything without a parable, but then he said, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So there's a need. You've got 12 men. They're still, they are there listening to these parables. And at the same time, there's a need for Jesus to take them aside afterwards and begin to explain, here is what I'm talking about. Why is he doing this? Because Jesus is investing in 12 men to found the New Testament church to impact us. To build their, okay, this is what God is doing. This is who I am. This is what's happening. This is how God is bringing about His plan of redemption that dates all the way back to Genesis 1, or Genesis 3, excuse me. Which, you could take it all the way back to 1 theologically in arguments, but let's just say that. But there's a need for Him to explain to these 12 men. In verse 35 it says, That day when evening came, He said to His disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took Him along. <clears throat> Just as, uh, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Then the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So they're in a boat, we're leaving, we're going across the way, and a huge storm comes up, Jesus sleep on the boat. Waves are crashing in, the boat's going to sink, and they wake him up, and they are frantic. Jesus, do you not even care if we're all going down, we're going to drown? This is awful. Save us. Do something. <clears throat> Verse 39 says, He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Verse 40, He said to His disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? These men have been following. They have been following Jesus. They've been listening. They've been watching Him heal people. They've been watching Him cast out demons. They've been watching Him do things that you cannot do. Not only that, but they've been taken aside and they've been taught in depth. Here is what I am teaching in the parables that no one else on the outside understands. That no one can comprehend what I am talking about. And Jesus verbally is sharing with them, this is the truth of the gospel of what God is doing. And through all that, they get on a boat, a storm comes, and what do they do? They panic. We're going to drown. We're all going to die. And Jesus responds with, are you kidding me? Where have you been? You haven't picked up on anything yet. Which, which is going to be true. We're going to get, uh, I believe it's Mark 6, is the feeding of the 5,000. And you have 
at least 30,000 people in this place and they're listening to Jesus teach and they're hungry and it's late and the disciples come and say, Jesus, we gotta, we gotta move these people. We gotta get them back to town and let them eat and let's disperse this crowd. Let's get this thing done. We've been here for three days. We're starving. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they go, we got two little sardines and five rolls. And still at this point, it's just, they, they don't get it. They have not yet caught on to who this Jesus is and what he can do. But, but that's okay. They're in process. God taking them through in here, very physical process of relying on God. What are these 11 of these 12 men, what are they going to do? When Jesus is gone, they're going to go out to start the New Testament church, and 10 of those are going to die, at least traditionally, are going to die martyr deaths for sharing their faith. And Christ has put them in a position where they have to rely on Jesus so they learn, they physically learn, Jesus has got this. It's okay. He is teaching them, here's where you can display your faith. Because they're going to have to do that. Once their actual mission begins, it is essential that they rely on their faith I'm going to trust in Jesus that I'm going to be able to go out and do what He's commanded me to do. And Jesus is putting them in a position. Here I'm going to teach you. And again, it displays and argues and defends the divinity of Jesus that Jesus is able to get up. He's asleep. He gets up and goes, waves quiet down. Let's stop this. And the whole thing just goes. And you have glass water that's amazing to wake toward on. And you're ready to go. But what do we learn from that? We take away that here you've got You've got these twelve men who are watching, who are watching Jesus, watching and watching Jesus. They're doing both. They have a perception. Jesus has said you've got to, you have a deeper perception of, of seeing and understanding, seeing, perceiving, hearing, understanding. You, you're catching on to what's going on, but yet at the same time, you lack in faith. You lack in full understanding. You lack in the ability to trust in me in certain situations. But that's okay because they're in process. Not only that, but Jesus has to take specific time to sit down and let me teach you what you do not know yet. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to have all of the answers. There are times when we need to sit down and specifically let God teach us, here is what I'm trying to reveal to you. There are times in our life when we may be going something that God is teaching us. Here's the faith that you have to display in me. Here's what you need to rely on me for as I'm going to move you through. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean it's not scary. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it does mean that God is moving and wanting to love, to display His power, His love, His grace, and all those things in a situation where you have to look and go, I have to rely on who Jesus is and what God is doing, even though I don't understand, or I don't like, or I'm terrified, or whatever it may be, I'm going to trust in Jesus. And that's what these 12 men, 11 of which, will go out and actually be able to do that in, in the mission that God has given them. And eventually they're able to do that. They're able to, to display a faith. They're able to experience Jesus in such a way so like I said, they go out in Acts, and the story of Acts is these men beginning to share the gospel with the world. 
and the founding of the New Testament starts and God begins to move in the way that he's doing now. These 11 guys are able to experience Jesus at a level where it builds that faith, it builds that confidence, it builds that understanding, and they're able to go do that. It said in, in Mark chapter 6, which we'll get to, and we'll probably hammer this a little harder when we get there, but Jesus says, you've got 30,000 plus hungry people, and he says to them, give them something to eat. And they go, we don't have anything. And then they feed the people. You can move that over for us today. When we see one of the one of the basic commands, one of the basic things we get from the life of Jesus and this understanding, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to walk around the way He did. One of the main things you do is take care of people who have needs, and we've talked about this multiple times in the last few weeks. There are people who are starving and they need food. They need a basic what is that? Essential of life. And I look at that situation and go, oh, what do I have? In comparison to the to the need, it's very similar to what's going on in Mark 6. And it's actually accounted for in all four Gospels. You've got 30,000 plus people. You've got two sardines and five rolls. That's kind of what we got. What has Jesus told us to do? God, what am I going to do? Feed them. I don't have anything. Feed them. We, we have a, the same lacking of faith in displaying and acting and doing what God has called us to do. The same lack of faith that these 12 men have as they're on a boat. Why? Because we don't always take time to experience God the way that they did. We don't take time to experience, to understand, to learn from. Obviously, you can't physically walk around and follow Jesus. But at the same time, Hebrews state, the writer of Hebrews states that in the past God spoke through the forefathers, but now has spoken through Jesus which we have now the story, the message of Jesus in your Bible, if you don't spend time there, then you don't, you don't get to experience that. Now, if that we go back to this parable talking about those who have will be given more and those who don't, even what they do have will be taken away. This, this, this display of faith. If we begin to step out and do things that God has called us to do that we are incapable of doing, your faith will grow. Again, the whole point of what's happening here is this development of who Jesus is, how he's working, and how he's bringing about the redemption of man. And for us, what do we take away today? This idea of how are you displaying your faith on a consistent basis? What are you doing? Again, not in earning of a relationship with Jesus. And if we need to go over that again, we can. If you want to talk about it later, you're more than welcome to sit down with me. But there's action attached to our faith. There's a response to God, there's an active response to follow Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, pick up your cross and walk behind me. We have to do that. How are you doing that on a consistent basis? Are you displaying your faith or are you in a boat saying, I am terrified, I'm going to drown, do you even care? Let's pray. Dear God, come me now, just thank you for another night to come together to worship you, um, to study your word, to learn from God. Pray for opportunities this week for us to love people, love our neighbors, love our coworkers, love those we are around, <clears throat> uh, to share to share your story with God. We pray that you will use us to impact your kingdom. Again, we thank you for love, forgiveness, life, fulfillment, all that you've given us, God. Uh, we just praise 
uh, praise you, worship you, uh, remember what you've done. We thank you. The first time we pray. Mm-hmm.